0: everybody. Uh, We're slowly gathering in, but it's uh, lovely to see you in church this morning. Um, And it is a special delight for me to welcome Kevin back to us again. Kevin, you're very welcome. And uh, I will uh, just appear again to do the announcements for you later on. So Kevin is uh, an elder in Lucan Presbyterian Church, and uh, he's a theologian working for the Jesuit community in Dublin Um, and he's uh, doing uh, an accredited preacher course uh, with the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and he has, uh, yeah, he's doing that in Adelaide Road. So Kevin, you're very, very welcome, and we pray God's blessing upon you, and I'm going to hand over to you now. Thank
1: you, Sam, and thank you all for welcoming me. If you're a guest, you should feel especially welcome because I know for a fact that this congregation is uh, full of warm hospitality, We've joined together here, a diverse group of people from all over the city to praise and worship God. So let's begin in prayer. Dear God, silence all voices within our minds, but your own. Help us to seek and be able to follow your will. May our prayers be joined with those of our sisters and brothers in the faith, That together we may glorify your name and enjoy your fellowship forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now before we begin our our singing this morning, our first song is Sing to God New Songs of Worship. I want to give a heads up, advance notice. For the children's sermon, I need three grown-up volunteers. I want you to reflect on whether or not you'd like to put your hand up when the time comes. Now, Before that, I'd love for you to join with me in singing Sing to God New Songs of Worship. We continue our worship with a prayer of confession. Drawing on Psalm 48, we reflect on this past week and we will call together on the mercy of God. So let us pray together. O God, You are great and worthy of praise. Your reign is the joy of all the earth. You alone offer sure defense. Too often, Lord, we seek security in the world. We join our forces with kings and princes who leave us abandoned as they flee, serving only themselves. We thank you, Lord, that as often as we stray, you welcome us back within the secure walls of your protection. There, Lord, you console us with your scriptures, which testify to your unfailing love. And you invite us to join with the praise that reaches to the ends of the earth. Forgive us, Lord, for our self-defeating wandering. Plant us firmly within your city's ramparts. Make us at home among your citadels. Grow us so we may mature into those who can tell the next generation with authority of your greatness. And may the closing words of Psalm 48 become truly our words. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Amen. Our text this morning the passage that we're going to reflect on more deeply later on, is in Acts chapter 2, at the end of the book of Acts. It's on page 1094, if you have a pew Bible with you. And if you're reading from your own Bible, it's Acts chapter 2, from verse 42 to the end. So in context, this is... Um, A couple of weeks after Jesus has been resurrected and Jesus has ascended into heaven, and Peter preaches this famous sermon in public, and it's uh, the Pentecost sermon. 3,000 people become believers right there and then. And Luke then turns to describe what happens after this first act of public preaching of the church. So we're reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which is on page 1094. 1094. Luke, Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. May all of us have such attention to detail. So let's listen carefully and hear the word of the Lord. The apostles devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Usually at this point in the service, if you're a regular at Adelaide Road Presbyterian Church, we move on to the children's address, to the kids' sermon. But this morning is slightly different. Because of the nature of this text that we're going to consider more deeply, uh, we've moved the offering forward in the service so that um, there's not any confusion about what I mean to do when I talk about um, the material that uh, Luke has given us. Um, So the offering isn't just to support the work that goes on in Adelaide Road Presbyterian Church. It's an extension of our worship that goes to serve to the ends of the earth. The Presbyterian Church has missionaries all over, in Portugal, in Sri Lanka, in Malawi, all over the planet, people are supported by... Uh, the contributions that are made up and down the country in congregations like our our own. So if you're a visitor or a guest here this morning, if you've come unprepared for this, please allow the plate to pass. But this is one way that we in this community continue to to worship God beyond our words and our song. So we'll take up the offering. Let us pray for the effect of this offering. O God, our offerings proclaim that work and worship are one, that our life is undivided. Use these gifts for your church's ministries of reconciliation, service, mercy, and witness. Amen. So uh, we've come to that part of the service where I'm going to need three volunteers who are uh, grown-up volunteers, I'm afraid. The kids are in the role of judge today. You guys cannot uh, be the actors. So I'm looking for three. You just need to stand up here. You don't need to... I'm not asking you to, like, share a kind of party trick or anything, any, any adult volunteers who, we've got one, yeah, come on up. We've got two, and we've got three, wonderful. So, um, while they're coming up, I'll try and get this microphone set up. And That sounds like it's working, doesn't it, yeah? Okay, so, what we're gonna do today is talk about the, the wider world. Not just Adelaide Road, not just Dublin 2, but the whole planet. Okay, So I have three flags here. Does anyone know what flag that, what country that represents? South Africa, no? We got a vote at the back. Jamaica. Jamaica. What about this one? Is it, first of all, is there anyone from Jamaica? Anyone from the Caribbean? No? OK. Oh, yeah, you're okay. very welcome. What about this country? Hey, we had the right answer there somewhere? Democratic Republic of Congo. Have we got any Congolese? You're very welcome. <laughs> and finally, what's that flag? USA. No, The European <laughs> Union. So that's the, uh, the alliance that we're a part of, okay? So I'm gonna um, make our adults the representatives. You're the EU, for good or for ill, you're the Democratic Republic of Congo, and you are Jamaica. Thank you very much. Now, I have... Who here likes Haribo? No. No? No. But what are you talking about? I've heard that kids and adults love Haribo. Mm -hmm. Kids and adults love it, so happy, happy Haribo. (laughs) Exactly. They wouldn't be allowed to say it in the European Union if it wasn't true. So I have 100 Haribo jellies here. Whoa. Which represents, for the purposes of this sermon, all of the wealth in the world. Okay. So this is all of the good things that we have on the planet. Why do you think I have them broken up into three bags? There's 100 here, and I'm going to share them out. In fact, we're going to swap Jamaica and Democratic Republic of Congo. So the European Union, what kind of countries are in the European Union? Ireland, Ireland yeah. France. France. This is not meant to be a controversial <laughs> question. <laughs> 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 right, France and Italy and Hungary and a whole, bunch, a whole bunch of countries, and these are wealthy countries, right? So other wealthy countries are like Canada and America and Japan and Australia. And then we've got Jamaica, and there's a whole bunch of countries that are like middle wealthy countries, like Jamaica and Argentina and Russia. And then there are some countries that are poor countries, like the Democratic Republic of Congo or um, uh, East Timor or Iraq, okay? And we're going to share out the jellies in proportion in the amount of how much these different countries get, okay? Let's see if it's fair. This is Europe's share. Oh, I need the bowls. (laughs) I was about to pour them into the ground. Thank you very much to Karen for arranging these transparent bowls to make my point. There you go, that's where you're gonna get all your riches. Okay, so rich people in the world get this many jellies. Oh, yeah. There's still some. Oh, there's still some. They've got so much, they could just leave some in the bag, because they're never going to be able to eat all of this in one sitting, all right? Yes they could, but importantly, if you ate them all in one sitting, you'd get sick. (coughs) Think about that. Right, the middle countries get, that's 76% of the jellies, this is 22% of the jellies. And the place in the world where the most people live, get, how many is that? Two. There's 76 there. There's 22 there. Enjoy. Is this fair? No. What are we going to do? What's the solution? I'm afraid we're going to have to share them, aren't we? So we'll take these and put them in here. Is that sharing going to be fair? But you said share. Oh, shared equally. So would that mean that we're going to have to take these guys and give them over here? No, let's not below. Oh, so you're you're saying, oh, she has to. So that's us, remember. The European Union is us. So we're going to have to take, and this is also true, if you're going to try to take this, there's going to be a fight. But eventually justice will win because God is good. And we are going to have to... Share. Now, Jamaica, you're going to have to share, okay? We're just trusting you at the moment. And there's one there. You can take that one as a... Yeah, there we go. Now, there we go. All three of us come together, and we're going to hopefully get the passage up on the text. One more. One more. There we go. I propose to you that the way we've arranged things where the rich people get way, way more than the poor people is very wrong, yeah? Yeah? So we're going to need to share. And the Lord says constantly that sharing is an important and good thing. And if you have lots, you must give it to those who have need. So in Proverbs we read, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. If you give good things to those who have need, the Lord sees that and says, it's like you've given it to me. And the Lord will reward those who do that. That's what the Bible says. So let's pray together that we, whether we're adults or whether we're children, would live so that we would share more, okay? So all four of us together, we'll pray. Lord, and you all, join us. Lord, we thank you for all of the many good things you've given us. There's more than enough in the world to go around so that we would all have full bellies, a roof over our heads, that we'd all be able to go to school and learn all the things we need to learn. There's no shortage. There's no scarcity. If we share, Lord, there is enough. We pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would make us into your disciples who are happy to give because we know that you see this generosity and are pleased by it. Lord, make us more like your son Jesus, who was happy to give away all of the riches that he had so that he could become like us, live with us, and die to save us. Lord, make us truly your followers. Amen. Okay. Amen. So we're going to sing a song, and then uh, the kids are going to go to Sunday school, and there's a crash available if needed, but babies are also very welcome to stay with us. So the song is, thank you very much to our volunteers, whose excellence in standing was superb. And, of course, the jellies will be available afterwards to share, right? Good, yeah, excellent. So our song is uh, Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God. So let's stand together and sing. So there's a supervised crash available for kids up to the age of three downstairs and children and young people from the ages four to 14 are now able to leave for Sunday school and K2, which takes place upstairs. And I'll invite Sam back up to share the announcements.
0: Well, great to see you all in church this morning and it's uh, yeah, just my pleasure to welcome you. Um, and uh, I know that uh, I've really been enjoying the service so far. In fact, the announcements have come very soon, Kevin, so that's, that's great as well. If you have your order sheets there, let's just look at these uh, uh, to focus our minds on them. Uh, next weekend, of course, is a holiday weekend and uh, the city will be abuzz with lots of different things on. Um, And so uh, we just want to invite you to come to church as well. We're going to, because it is St. Patrick's Day in the sense of being the 17th of March, uh, we're going to devote our service to looking at the life and the witness of St. Patrick. Um, And so um, I've invited uh, uh, the Reverend Godfrey Brown uh, to be the speaker. Uh, Godfrey was my minister when I was a, a young boy, until I was 18 and uh, left Ballycastle, and he's the senior minister now in Ballycastle. He was moderator of the uh, General Assembly in the 1980s, and he is a historian by his background and, uh, you know, before he became a minister, and uh, so I'm looking forward to meeting up with Godfrey. He's now a senior man, um, well retired, um, but he's uh, very keen to come and speak to you about uh, St. Patrick, and if you can be here, we'd love to have you with us on Sunday the 17th. If you've come with burdens in your hearts or people that you're concerned about and uh, things that you would like to be prayed for, well then this little table over here is where two people will meet uh, with you and to pray with you confidentially. Just come and meet them after the service, and we would recommend that to you as well. Uh, We are meeting for International Cafe next Friday, um, and again, uh, we're looking forward to that because our theme will be St. Patrick, and uh, the, the rumor is that we will be dancing. Uh, so we'll wait and see how that works out as well. So really good to encourage uh, international students to come to that. Um, the Art of Marriage course, um, I think we've got that wrong, by the way. <laughs> we're not doing well with this Art of Marriage course announcements. Uh, it is the 11th of March uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow. So it is meeting tomorrow. Isn't that right? The folks who are there. So yeah, it's meeting on the 11th of March, uh, Monday, the 11th at 7 30 PM here in the church. Just to highlight that living well, just to put it in your diaries on the Tuesday, the 26th of March, uh, for those and Bible reading notes. Um, Denise is here today, so you can chat to Denise. She's at the back there. If you want to talk to her about how you go about ordering Bible reading notes for yourselves and what the opportunities are, and you can also contact Doogie there in Dunleary Bookshop, as well. I forgot to bring it; I've left it in my Bible. But this obviously is Lent, and there are some booklets out on the, in the foyer as well about Church and Chains, and there's a poster at the back as well. Church and Chains is an Irish-based organisation that supports persecuted Christians. And so they want us to pray uh, for a different uh, person uh, every uh, week of Lent. Um, And uh, so the first person is a young Nigerian girl who was um, kidnapped by Boko Haram, uh, only 15 years of age. And they have promised to keep her for a slave for life because she will not recant her faith. And uh, she hasn't been with her parents for over two years. So we want to pray for Leah. Uh, You'll find that all, by the way, if you can't get one of the booklets, you'll find that on the Church in Chains website as well. And lastly, can I just ask you to pray for Karen and myself. Uh, We are flying early in the morning to Porto uh, in Portugal uh, to visit uh, Leopoldo and Lydianne, and we'll be back on Friday. And we hope to see the church uh, there as well and to uh, give them your greetings and to see how things are going. So we would value your prayers in that. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sam. Uh, We continue our worship by singing My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. So um, before I begin, I just wanted to say thank you to you as a congregation for having me here for uh, these three weeks over the last couple of months. The accredited preacher scheme is a programme that has taken a year to complete and today all going well, I have completed it. Um, So um, it's been wonderful to be here for the three weeks. You've been uh, tremendously encouraging and helpful and it's been a real blessing. So thank you. It's been a highlight of the whole scheme for me to to be able to be here. So thank you very much. As you know, I am very nervous when I do this, so I'd love for you to join with me in prayer. Pray for me, but also pray for us, that we would hear the word of God this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your good news is good news, and you have shared it with us this morning, that centuries after Luke set down these words, they continue to have profound relevance us as individuals and as a community so through your holy spirit speak to us now soften our hearts and sharpen our minds so that we will be able to hear your word your word to us as individuals and as adelaide road presbyterian church we thank you lord amen now there's some technology here which is working so far, I've got to begin, I'm afraid, with bad news. Christianity, as you can see here, is in decline in Ireland, in steep decline. There were 375,000 Presbyterians in 1975 on this island. Today, there are less than 225,000, as you can see there. In 1973, which is you know within the lifetimes of many people in this room, 91% of people in Ireland attended worship every week. By 2009, that had halved to 46%. Our full congregation here this morning with men and women all together from all different parts of the world, it appears to be thriving, but this congregation is a remarkable exception. Up and down this country in cities, in towns, and in villages, the church is struggling in a profound way. The light of faith appears to be diminishing. It is hard to be encouraged. So to use one of Jesus' favorite images, it appears to me that the soil in our nation does not seem to be very fertile for the seed of the gospel at the moment. When you read through the Acts, it's a very different picture. As you read through, you see these amazing advances in mission happening all over the known world. Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2 leads to 3,000 people being saved there and then. As we read on, you discover miraculous healings, fierce persecutions, the church being established all over the Mediterranean, as people who once had nothing to do with the promises God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were grafted into the family of faith. We look at our churches around Ireland, and what do we see? Amazing advances in finally getting fair trade tea and coffee served after the service. Miraculous healings of the laptop, because Ricardo knows just what to do when the PowerPoint crashes. Fierce persecutions, because the St. Patrick's Day parade is happening next Sunday, and you have to park a little bit further away from the church than you'd like. The biblical scholar and Anglican bishop, N.T. Wright, once quipped, everywhere Paul went, there was a riot. Everywhere I go, there's a cup of tea. So when we compare the 21st century church in the Western world to this 1st century Palestinian church, it's easy to feel that we are missing out on something. The traditional name for this book that comes after the Gospels is the Acts of the Apostles. But in the last generation, there's been a a really beneficial switch so that people have begun to understand it to be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the agent that's making these things happen is not the Christian leadership. It's the Spirit of God. And that's a, a very good thing. It's a commendable thing but it can also tempt us into very bad thinking and a lot of our thinking about the holy spirit is very poor very sloppy we've all heard opinions of the variety that i'm about to show you it's anonymized so you don't have to figure out which northern irish leader of the presbyterian church tweeted this one sunday morning a few months ago but it says uh, the difference in a book of acts church and today's church is that we value a book that they didn't have over the Holy Spirit that they did have. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Now, I do not want you to feel picked on from the pulpit if you read that text, that tweet, and think, hmm, this guy's onto something. But this guy, at that particular moment in time, was not onto something. This is a sentiment that I think many of us would instinctively agree with. We need more Holy Spirit. But we need more Bible. (laughs) If we think through this, this idea that the church in the first century had the spirit, and we then now have like dusty theology or the scriptures or something not the spirit, it's very problematic, and I want to explain why. Look at this. We value a book that they didn't have over the Holy Spirit that they did have. And I want you to note that clause, the Holy Spirit that they did have. We're going to do some theology here. What's wrong with that? The startling realisation made evident by reading Acts through in one sitting is not that they had the Holy Spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit had them. This tweet gets the order mixed up, and I think that contemporary Christians get the order mixed up. We don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has us. When we talk about what we have, we are talking about our possessions. And it's really revealing that we can utter sentences about possessing God without noticing how that could be problematic. There's a sense in which it can be completely fine, but there's also a sense in which it can be very troubling. So ironically, the language of possession gets at the thing that the early church had, which we don't have. We have possessions. We have many, many possessions. So, Ricardo is way ahead of me here, and I'm breaking it now. Sorry, Ricardo, I'm going to leave it to you, you're a skilled man. So, we have things we own. We are drowning in the things we own. If you're anything like me, at the end of a hard day, you turn on Netflix on your flat-screen TV, which might not be the only flat-screen TV you have, and you watch a show with the Japanese cleanliness guru Marie Kondo, who comes into houses and tells people how to get rid of the stuff they own. Are you familiar with this show? I mean, it's a a phenomenon. She comes in and she tells people to hold the things they own and ask themselves, does this object bring me joy? And if it does, keep it. And if it doesn't, give it away. And everybody is giving away bags and skip loads of stuff. And I think it's probably true in your house too. You could clear out a skip worth of possessions you don't need. We are drowning in in the things we own. What we have that the church in Acts doesn't have is an abundance of private possessions. The difference between our church and the Church of Acts is not a lack of teaching or sacrament, hospitality or prayer. It can't be the reliance on the Holy Spirit because the counselor will never abandon us. The difference is that we are possessed by our possessions. What we lack is sharing. We see this clearly here at the end of Acts chapter 2, but we could consider the end of Acts chapter 4 or the beginning of Acts chapter 5, or if we needed a cross-reference verification, we could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the entire book of James, all of the Gospels, much of the Hebrew Scriptures. This is the major emphasis of the Bible that the Western world most consistently ignores. Let's read this text again and pay attention to how Luke puts things together. It's on page 1094. praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a vivid portrait of the early church. Let's look at what they're doing and consider it a checklist for the health of our own church. Okay, So we'll go through it one by one. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching. Are we devoted to the apostolic teaching? I'm doing my best up here, okay? (laughs) I'm an amateur, but I'm doing my best, right? They devoted themselves to fellowship. You have gathered in fellowship, so we're gonna give ourselves a tick there. Devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. Personally, I'd prefer if we were doing it every week, but definitely the Presbyterian Church in Ireland takes the sacrament seriously. Are we devoted to prayer? Well, before all of you arrived this morning, there was a group of people praying for this service. This is a church that is committed to prayer we're doing pretty good here. Then we move on. Is everyone filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles? Are we able to say yes on this? No, but that's the very thing that we're trying to figure out. Why is the church in Ireland so static, so stagnant? Why is it so difficult to do mission? Then we have, do the believers share everything in common? I'm a guest here, but three weeks in, I'm getting the impression that you don't do that has have we sold our property and possessions to give to anyone who had need maybe that's metaphorical like maybe luke doesn't mean that maybe it's a metaf- metaphor right <laughs> that's the best that we can hope for if we continue on have we continued to meet together in the temple courts well In a sense, yes, there's no temple in in Dublin, but we come to this building to meet together. Do we break bread in our homes and eat together with glad and sincere hearts? Our homes are too small for that, so we've built this special building, and so we're doing that as well. Um, Does our praising of God enjoy the favor of all the people, and does the Lord add to our number daily those who are being saved? No, absolutely not. So in this sermon, I want to explore one reason why that is the case, or at least I want to attempt that. We sometimes simplify the challenges facing the church. We turn them into a pious problem, that you know, we don't have the Holy Spirit, or we have too much reliance on the Bible, whatever that might mean. I have no idea how that could be. Or that we lack zeal or passion or some never-quite-stated level of holiness. We come up with these pious and religious answers that are very vague and that might give us a warm sense in our hearts, but they actually don't describe anything in reality. We always seem to pass over the radical communitarianism of the early church. They had everything in common and we don't. They had everything in common and we do not. Maybe that's why they enjoyed the favor of all the people and we do not. They sold all their possessions and gave to anyone who had need and we do not. Maybe that's why the Lord added daily to their number and he isn't doing that with us. The places in the world where the church is growing rapidly are also cultures and societies that are not gripped by this common idolatry of private property. Whether we think about South America or sub-Saharan Africa, the Roma communities across Europe, or the People's Republic of China, there is a correspondence between mutual interdependence and receptivity to the gospel. That's a fancy way of me saying, we want to own everything for ourselves. And if you live your life that way, becomes incredibly difficult to wrap your head around grace, to wrap your heart around it, more like it. The love of possessions leeches the nutrients of generosity generosity from the society's soil. It turns the gospel into yet one more thing you can choose to purchase, one more thing you can choose to discard. In its true form, the gospel ought to be manifested in a web of relationships, But in its common Western European form, it's manifested as a list of rules we keep, attitudes we possess, diminished and deprived of the space that it needs to truly transform our lives. There are other reasons for the church's decline in this country, most notably the scandalous behaviour of Christian leaders. But this passage forces us to focus on something that's much less obvious, a sickness, a love of possessions that has become pathological. Now, some of you know me, uh, either from years past or from the last couple of weeks. And you know I've been thinking about this topic for years and that it's my job with the Jesuits to do theology about wealth. So you're nodding politely while I talk up here because that's what we do at church. But internally you're just rolling your eyes and saying, this is Kevin's pet issue. It's easy to preach fine words, but in the real world we have to be wise stewards with our resources. On some issues that might be a fair response. But here I'm just trying to get you to see what God's scriptures plainly say. Look at it yourself. Notice in verse 43, there is widespread awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. In Acts, we see people being healed. We hear of a prison being torn apart by God. People are raised from the dead in Acts. But what does Luke choose to follow that sentence up with? What comes next after the awe-inspiring wonders and signs? Verse 44, they were together. They had everything in common. They sold what they had, and they gave to anyone in need. This is the greatest sign and wonder that the church can display. The Bible is not a fairy tale. Luke does not spiritualize these issues so that the solution to the problems that we face becomes some miraculous intervention. Miracles happen. They continue to happen. But the most wondrous thing that Luke can say about this early community is that they shared everything in common. That is why they had the favor of all the people. They sold their possessions and gave to everyone who had need. Anyone, the text says. Not just the poor they were friends with. Not just the deserving poor. Not just the poor that had fallen on hard times. Where there was need, The Christians met the need, that's what the Christians did. That is the miracle of Christian community that you cannot find in the Western church. We are drowning in abundance and prosperity, and yet we're content to slice off one or 2% to charity. We live in a world of abundant prosperity, and we're content to let children die of hunger. This is very serious material And I preach it with fear and trepidation. I know that it's rude to come to someone else's church and talk about money. It's the most precious and sacred thing. Why is it the most precious and sacred thing? Why is it making it so uncomfortable? Ultimately, the task facing the church in the Western world, whether we're talking about an evangelistic Bible study run in the room upstairs here, or whether we're talking about the widespread decline in faith across the nation, our task is to consider again whether or not Jesus really meant what he said in the middle of the sermon, mount, uh, sermon on the Mount. He said, you cannot have two masters. You either love one and hate the other, or you hold to one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. My friends, I cannot put it any simpler than this. Our love of owning things is why we are losing the faith. At the level of the heart's affections, our deepest desires, the reason why we want to get rich, isn't, it isn't about luxury. You know, I've got a 15 euro Casio watch, in fact I'm promoting myself, it's actually an 8 euro Casio watch. It costs more to replace the strap than it is to buy a watch. So it's not about like being able to buy a fancy Swiss watch. We know that the reason why we want money isn't so that we can have luxury. It's not even that we want status. The reason we want money is security. We want to know that we have enough to take care of ourselves if something dreadful happens. That's the real reason why we're working so hard, While we're, why we're working ourselves to, the de- to death, having heart attacks at the age of 48 because we have put in so many hours of overtime. Why? So that we would have enough money saved if we had health problems in the future. The irony is, is hellish. We want to be safe, and money feels like the best bet to safety. We want to be self-reliant so that we're not indebted to anyone. Well, if we live our lives so that we don't need to trust anyone but ourselves, why is it a big surprise then that we and our children can't trust God? Wealth is a form of blindness. It makes it hard for you to see and to reach out for your neighbor, because why would you reach out to him? You don't need him. You have money instead. We wrap money tightly around our hearts, and then we lie baffled when we die of a cardiac arrest. We are made for community, but we spend our days investing in commodities. This text is a command that is, is not a command that all of us instantly go out and dispossess ourselves of all of our possessions, but it ought to be a provocation to ponder why none of us have ever really considered if this text is telling you to dispossess yourself. I published a book last year. There's a big academic tome on the parables of Jesus and our contemporary problems with wealth. And Sam is one of the few people in the world to have read a copy. He's a very generous man. It's not not the greatest page-turner ever written. J.K. Rowling's place at the top of the bestseller charts is not threatened by my book. One of the problems with the book is that it's structured in a very unusual way. It's structured as a chiasm which is uh, an idea that I got from reading the Bible. It's one of the ways that the Bible makes arguments. So chiastic arguments don't build like the arguments we make. The way we make an argument is we have a supposition and we build up the evidence and then we get to a climax at the end, right? If you've ever seen a law court drama, you've seen that. At the very end of the scene, the lawyer wins the court case because he or she deploys this brilliant climactic argument. But very often in the Bible, the argument structure is different. It falls in on itself so that the key point that the Biblical author wants to make is at the heart of the argument, in the middle of the argument. So let's look again at how Luke builds this argument. Because it's that kind of argument that we see here. In describing the mission of the church, he begins and he ends with evangelism. First, we need to evangelize through preaching, and we need to evangelize through lifestyle. The practices in the middle that sustain evangelism are shared worship and meals. But it's clear that at the heart of Luke's argument here is what we have in common. The early church were together, and so we must be. A unity that's born not of similarity, or of a shared vision, or of a cartload of noble religious sentiments. Our unity is born from sharing the good things that we have in life together. Ireland seems like an arid and infertile place for the gospel, but maybe that's because we're not pushing the seed into the soil of our lives. We're settling for surface religion, a smattering of doctrine, a little liturgy. Until the generosity of the gospel controls the resources that we toil for, we have not yet begun to plant the good news in our lives. And if we don't plant, how can we hope to harvest? At the end of your life, my friends, God is going to ask you how you handled your treasure. Did you spend money in a way to testify to your passion for the kingdom? I do not say this to you to get you to give money to this church. I'm not a member of this church, have no real connection to it. We deliberately put the offering before this sermon so that you'd understand that there's no intention here to legalistically manipulate you. I say this to you because it's one of the most important questions anyone will ever ask you, and there's no one else in this culture besides a preacher who will dare to say it to you. What are you working for? What are you saving for? If you're working for your family, that's still not big enough a vision for you. It's a good one, but it's not big enough. If you're saving for security, there's a sense to that, but it's not yet good enough for you. What do you intend to bring with you when you die? Your bank balances count for nothing in eternity. Invest it now in the service of those who have need. Invest your money in the kingdom because it will surely return a yield greater than any stock market can ever offer. Now you're thinking to yourself, what's this gonna look like practically? It's easy for you to say this up there, but what's it practically mean? I'm gonna give you three ways this could practically work out. First of all, real easy way. You all have possessions that are all redundant. I've got an environmental scientist as a colleague, Catherine Devitt, she told me something once, the average electric drill, you know a power drill you buy, gets used for 17 minutes. Hands up who has a drill. <laughs> Here's a really practical way you can become more of a stitched together community. You probably only need two drills. <laughs> you can share your drills. You can share your ladders. You can share your, the gadgets that we have. We don't need them all. You can consciously make sure that you share what you have with other people so that you don't have to accumulate more and more and more stuff. That's an easy way. Then there are more complex ways. Jesus says, if you have two coats, share one. This week, make an inventory of all the things you have more than one of. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you on that. More complicated again, let's go beyond the private individual response. Maybe you should think about how you as a community, not just as individuals or not just as families, but as Adelaide Road Presbyterian Church, can pool your resources collectively to meet a need that exists here. You've done it before in the past. You've set up this wonderful ministry to children that's been running for years. Maybe it's time to do it again. These are practical ways that you can express your commitment to the kingdom of God. Stop buying things. Start giving away. Now, I'll draw to an end because I know, I mean, anyone talking about money needs to be brief and I have not been brief. I have an abundance of words. What can I say? That's why I'm sharing them with you. (laughs) So I have a very wise friend who's a pastor and a scholar. His name is Joseph Lear. And any of the ideas that I have here that are good ideas, I robbed from him. I give him credit. I'm not going to give him any money for his ideas, right? He studied Luke's writing, both the Acts and the Gospel. And he concluded that Luke is always pointing us to radically sharing our possessions because it's through those practices of generosity that the Holy Spirit prepares a people for the Lord. When you commit yourself to the ongoing exploration in generosity, you are training yourself to be ready to stand before the Lord. Spend today knowing the account that you must give tomorrow, not to the taxman, not to the accountant, but to the Lord who told you to make friends through your use of mammon. Spend what God has given you on enriching relationships. Live today like you intend to live in eternity. That is what wise stewardship looks like. Ultimately, it is not our possessions that we share. You are not here today to share your possessions. You are here today to share in your adoption in God's family. Christianity is not some crappier form of communism with all the poverty, but now with added midweek meetings as well to attend. It's an entirely different and better proposal than all of the man-made political agendas on offer. What we have in common, what brings us into this room together, is that regardless of our gender, of our nationality, of our sexuality, of whatever identity category you choose, we have been summoned by the one who was rich, who became poor for us, so that we would be enriched with citizenship in God's kingdom. What we have in common is that we are invited into God's kingdom, into God's friendship, into God's family, by Jesus's dispossession. If you are here today, he is here for you. The message of Acts is not that we have to get the Holy Spirit. The consolation of Acts is that the Spirit has you. This morning, grab a hold of that. Cling. to that. Cling selfishly to God's grace. Possess what is offered to you this morning, that you are not made right with God because of your religious observance or your financial prudence or even your radical generosity. You are made right with God because of Jesus's observance, because of Jesus's imprudence, because of Jesus's radical generosity. That is what we have in common. When we have that, we can let go of everything else. We want to know why we don't have a church that grows like acts. Pay attention to all the things that we're holding on to. Let's pray. Lord, your, your, your good news is good, but it is hard at times. It is challenging. It is challenging intellectually and spiritually. It can be a provocation to us and... Our lives are complex enough as it is. We don't need another thing to be troubled by. So we pray that over the week ahead, whatever of this sermon that is of merit, Lord, you would uh, provoke us and trouble us with it in the most healthy and productive way, prompting us a reflection that is uh, deep and resonant with your grace. Lord, we want to love you more. There are so many things that get in the way of that. Through your spirit, let us see if all the things we own are part of that obstacle. Work in us, Lord. Amen. So we continue our worship now uh, with song. We're going to sing Jesus All for Jesus. As we come towards the end of our service, we will take a moment now to uh, join our prayers with the prayers that are being said across the planet uh, for the needs of the world. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, as we are gathered to praise you, our hearts are full of concerns for the world, for our neighbours, for ourselves. We bring them to you now. Lord, we pray, particularly this morning, For those Christians across the planet who are suffering persecution, whether in captivity with Boko Haram or suffering the kind of low-level, consistent harassment, official obstacles that face Christians in Egypt or in Somalia and places where things used to be relatively peaceful, we recognise, Lord, that persecution in this century, has become, again, a major problem. Lord, we pray for those churches who face these challenges and for the Christians whose steadfast witness to you is a testimony to your your truth, to your peacefulness, to your goodness. Lord, closer to home, two Sundays away from Brexit, we pray for our nearest neighbour, we pray for wisdom in their political leaders. We pray for creativity so that they can uh, see things as they really are. We pray particularly, Lord, not not for the drama that is recounted in the news about what politician is in the ascendant or what politician has made a dreadful gaffe. Instead, Lord, we pray for the people who are affected by this. We pray for the farmers. We pray for the people who live in the cities that have have no industry. We pray for the people who... It's been decades since they've had any real economic prospects we pray particularly for northern ireland that uh, negotiations in the next two weeks would be such that peace would be preserved and that the hard work that has taken decades would not be undone by this lord we whatever position we hold on this we pray that its impact and effect would be minimally negative and particularly on the question of peace on this island lord we call out for wise and strong and courageous leadership for the decisions to be made with a recognition that the troubles could again return. We pray against that, Lord. This week, we did have things to celebrate. Uh, Earlier in the week, we marked International Women's Day, and we take this moment to appreciate and to remember the courageous women that feature so prominently in your scriptures for Deborah, the ruler, for Miriam, the prophet, for Ruth, the faithful, for Esther, the brave, for Mary, the theologian. We pray for the women in this congregation and for the women in this city who continue to suffer all kinds of structural oppressions, from uh, less pay for equal work down to uh, increasingly difficult situation in terms of being able to, to do basic things like have families. Lord, we, we pray that there would be a more apt and a more just and a more egalitarian society in terms of the laws that we have here so that we would support the work, that, the work and the value of, of women. Lord, even here as I pray, it's clear that I'm stepping into minefields. But you know the, the, the yearning that we have here for justice on this matter. And we pray that the church would be at the forefront of recognising that things in the past were not always as they should be. Lord, in this congregation, there are people who desperately need our prayer. And we pray particularly for Jonathan Mitchell, who um, isn't here with us. He is in Sweden, but he's fighting leukemia. We pray that that uh, process will be one that resolves in complete healing. We pray for his doctors, his medical care, that they would be at their very best in every single interaction with him. And for his support system, his, his network there in Sweden, that they would be able to keep him encouraged on the the difficult path ahead. Lord, we give thanks for the the news that um, Annie Patton is doing. She's improving, Lord, and hopes this week to uh, be released from hospital for convalescence. We pray for all of those in the congregation who are sick and who are unwell at this time and for their carers. And we take a moment to bring our own concerns to you, Lord. Gracious God, accept all these prayers offered in Jesus' name and give us now the strength to wait patiently for your answer, to live faithfully in response to your call. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our closing hymn is uh, for the healing of the nations. If you're able to stick around with us afterwards, we'd love for you to join us for tea and coffee, which is held downstairs in the kitchen area below. Um, So our closing hymn is for the healing of the nations please join me as we uh, say the benediction to each other which is a blessing a good word that we say to one another the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen thank you very much please stay with us for tea and coffee if you can thank you very much